Tonight, the topic I want to talk about is the topic that a lot of churches this day and age don't want to talk about because it may not be politically correct. It may be offensive. It may be uncomfortable to people hearing a message. It's a message on hell, it's a, but it's a message that needs to be preached. And you know, a lot of churches today want to candy coat the message. A feely good sermon, sermonette, that's not too long. God forbid we have a message that convicts people of their sin and leads them to Jesus Christ. But we're going to talk about it tonight. You know, the Bible talks about how in the last days the people won't want to preach the true Word of God. They'll candy coat it. They'll water it down. And it talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 1, it says, I charge thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at the appearing of His kingdom. It says, preach the word. Be, be in season or out of season. Reprove, rebuke, extort, exhort, and with long suffering, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the word of God. For the time will come when they will, den- will not endure sound doctrine. They will get away from the true word of God. And please, don't talk. We're talking about the Lord here. There's people who want to hear the Word. For there will be a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap up themselves teachers having itchy ears. They'll go to churches that preach the feely good stuff, the stuff that won't offend people. They'll turn away from the faith. And it says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall turn to fables. But it says, watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. The ministry of God. Don't water it down. Preach the true word. It does offend some people. But the Word of God is more powerful than any two-edged sword cutting down to the soul. So you don't water it down. And in uh, the next page before that, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the last days. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to their parents, unthankful, unholy. Does that sound like today? It sure does. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, fierce despisers of those that are good. When you stand up for Jesus Christ, trying to do the good things, people call you bigots or whatever. They'll call you prejudice or whatever. When you truly stand for the Word of God, despisers of those that are good. And there's traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. 
How many times you see people at the big football stadiums, but they won't darken a church door? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And such turn away. That's what we have today, a form of godliness. It looks like a godly church, but they water it down. They don't preach the true word of God. And such turn away from the true faith. And it says down in verse 7, Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're missing out the true word of God, the truth. The Bible says, know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yes, I believe we're in the last days. There's a lot of churches coming up, though. There's some of these mega churches springing up, huge churches. But, you know, some of them churches are popular because they're not offending anybody. They're making people feel comfortable. They're making feel like they're just at a movie theater hearing a small sermonette. I'm not saying all churches are that way, but there's some out there. And the people feel comfortable. They're giving money to the church. They're hearing their short sermonette so they can get out and do their golf, golfing or do whatever they do Sunday afternoon. And maybe they're even giving food to the needy. And maybe they're even helping people in the community. Making themselves feel good about themselves. Building up their self-esteem. Thinking everything is all right. A false security. And in Matthew, it talks about a false security. In Matthew uh, chapter verses uh, 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will say unto me in that day, many's going to get in front of the Lord, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out demons in thy name and done many wonderful works for you, Lord? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I was listening to an evangelist preaching, and uh, he was talking a little bit about some of these megachurches. And he said, uh, there's a pastor that was teaching in his, or preaching at his church, and he's, he's teaching his congregation how to go to hell with a positive attitude. They're being deceived. The feely good gospel, the watered down gospel. And being a Christian isn't always like a bed of roses. It isn't always like people are going to like you all the time because uh, you're a Christian. In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, it says, this is what Jesus says. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, 
But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Yes, so being a Christian isn't always a bed of roses, candy-coated. We'll have trials and tribulations being a Christian. But you know we're on the winning side. And it's not popular always to preach the true Word of God. And there are a lot of good churches out there still preaching the Word of God. But you know, it's sad to say some of the churches that's truly preaching the Word of God, there's being less and less of them. Just like the signs of the times. Bible says in the last days, hearts will be wax cold. And uh, like I say, we're going to talk about hell tonight. It's unpopular. It's uncomfortable. In the Bible, it continually warns of a place called hell. In the New Testament, there's 162 references about hell. And over 70 of these references were told by Jesus Christ Himself. He took it very seriously, telling people about hell, because it's a real place. And He doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. Here's what Jesus said. He was real serious about people not ending up in hell. He talked about in Mark chapter 9, starts verse with 43. And if thy hand offend thee, or if the, the hand makes you sin, allows you to be living in sin, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into heaven, or life, lamed, than to have two hands and end up in hell, where the fire that never shall be quenched, and there's the worm that dieth not. And again it says the fire that is not quenched. So many times it talks about hell being a fire. You ever get burned on the stove or exhaust pipe on your car or something? You can get cut and it hurts, but man, you get a burn and it's there for a long time. It stays. And fire, you ever hear about people being burned alive in their car that couldn't get out? All the wailing and crying and agony of being burnt. And it goes on, verse 45, And thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life that way than having two feet and cast into hell, where the fire that never shall be quenched, and where neither the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and cast into the hell fire where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So it's important to Jesus. He doesn't want anybody to end up in hell. I'm going to read this here. This is just some references out of the Bible that talk about what hell is like. It says it's a lake of fire. It's a bottomless pit. It's a horrible tempest. It's a re devouring fire. It's a place of sorrow. It's a place where they cry. It's a place of torments, a furnace of fire, an everlasting burning, a place of filthiness where they curse God, an everlasting destruction 
place of outer darkness, where they have no rest, a place where nobody can repent, a place where they scream for mercy, a place of everlasting punishment, a place where they gnaw at their tongues, a place prepared for the devils and his angels, a place where they beg for one drop of water, a place where they will be tormented with fire and brimstone, a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Yeah, it's a place where people go in full opposition to the will of God. It's a place where it's too late to pray. And it's a place where the proud and self-righteous learn how to beg. And it says the smoke of their torment extends up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day nor night. It's a place where no one wants to be. And a little more talks about hell in Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. A lot of you probably heard this about the rich man and Lazarus. The story that Jesus tells, and I believe it's a true story. There was a rich man, and there was a man of Lazarus named Lazarus. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple. Purple usually means royalty, a person that's very high up. So there was a rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who laid at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with just the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, and being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue. You know, of all the things, this guy's in hell, this rich man. And what's he asked for? A drop of water. He doesn't ask to get out of hell, does he? Wouldn't you ask to get out of hell than having a drop of water on your tongue? You know why he didn't ask? Because he knew there was no hope. There's no hope in hell. And he was hoping that maybe he could at least get a drop of water to cool his tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from here unto you cannot, neither can you pass unto us. 
Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that they may, he may testify unto them. Least they also end up into this place of torment. So he wanted Lazarus to go back from the dead and tell his brothers that there is a hell. And he didn't want his brothers to end up where he was. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they would repent. Hmm. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This day and age today, Jesus Christ, God Himself, laid three days in the earth and came back alive. And how many people, even though Jesus came back from the grave, how many people rushed to Jesus Christ? Very few. The Bible says the road to heaven is straight and narrow, and few be there that find it. The road to hell is broad and wide, and many be there that find it. Even though a miracle happened, Jesus rose from the dead, people still don't believe it. Just like they said right here, even though somebody rose from the dead, they won't believe it. Hell is a place. There is no hope. I searched from cover to cover in the Word of God. I found no hope for a person in hell. And it's for eternal. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 8, it says, Everlasting fire. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, it says, Everlasting punishment. In Jude chapter 1, verse 6, Everlasting change. Mark 3, verse 29, it says, eternal damnation. Hebrews 6, chapter, or Hebrews 6, verse 2, eternal judgment. Jude, chapter 1, verse 7, eternal fire, no hope. And here's another thing that I, when I was studying for this message on hell, that I realized another torment of hell that's just as bad as the other things of hell. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 5 and 6, and also in chapter 34, verse 16, it says, No remembrance of you anymore, as if you were never born. Wouldn't that be sad? That there would be no remembrance of you anymore by your loved ones, by your friends, by your family? Nobody. It's as if you were never born. You're tormented in hell. And nobody to pray for you. Nobody to cry for you, that cares for you. It's a sad situation. Now another thing. People ask, where is hell? Some of you may say, hell's right here, huh? Right here, huh? But this is, this is uh, heaven compared to the true hell. And according to the Bible, hell is somewhere in the heart of the earth. In Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 18, it says, 
Hell is in the lower parts of the earth, down into the pit. In verse 32, verse 21, it says, people have gone down to hell. And in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9, it says, hell is beneath. In uh, chapter 14, verse 15, it says, and they were brought down to hell. And Proverbs 9, verse 18, talks about the depths of hell. And another interesting thing that I read in the Old Testament about hell, in uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 32 and 33, when Moses was leading the Jews towards the promised land, there was a rebellion of people. They didn't want to follow God. And the Lord told Moses that they better repent. But they did not repent. And here's what the Lord did to those people that did not repent. And it says, The earth opened up and swallowed them up. And they went down alive into the pit. And then the earth closed upon them. And they all perished. And in Revelations chapter 14, verse 10, Revelations chapter 19, verse 20, Revelations 21, verse 8, it talks about hell being a lake of fire and brimstone. And I looked it up in the dictionary. Do you know what brimstone is? The dictionary says brimstone is sulfur. And I was, I was looking up about volcanoes and eruptions. And it says in 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. And it was estimated that 150,000 tons of sulfur gas was ejected out of the earth at that time. And when you see lava flow, the Bible, you know, talks about a lake of fire. When you see a lava flow, when you see the volcanoes erupting, that I would say would be the closest you could see to the lake of fire. Molten rock. It's hard to even comprehend molten rock. And who's in hell? Revelations 21.8 talks a little bit about that. It says, but the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, saucers, idolaters, and all liars. Have you ever lied in your whole life? And it says, and all liars shall have their part in lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The second death. There's a saying that says, if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. See, if you never accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you die twice. The first one is a physical death. But right here, the second one is a spiritual death. It says, in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. But if you're, if you're born twice, the second birth is being born again, asking Jesus Christ in your, your heart to be your Lord and your Savior. That's being born again. And you won't see that second death. Hell is real. But you know, there's hope. 
There's victory over sin, victory over the grave. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is holy. God is just. God is a loving God. But because God is holy and just, sin must be condemned. Sin must be punished. Sin demands a, a payment. You know, heaven would not be heaven if God allowed any sin in heaven. It would be contaminated, wouldn't it? And God loved us so much, He knew that there was no way we could make it to heaven on our own. Because in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fallen short, short of the glory of God. So there's no way we could reach Him. But He came down to reach us. God Himself came down and was born as a babe. He lived 33 years on this earth. He showed us how to live. He made the lame walk. He made the blind see. He made the deaf hear. The perfect Lamb of God. He died on that cross for each and every one of us. And even on that cross, nails in His hands and feet, He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No greater love ever shown than what Jesus did. God Himself on that cross. Yes, in John 3.16, most of you know that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. But through Him, that they may be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Romans 5.8, it says, For God commended His love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to read this from the Word of God. It's in the Old Testament. This was written 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever born, okay? It was Isaiah chapter 53. If you say the Bible is not real, prove it to me that the Bible's real. I will prove it to you right here. This is in the old book, the old Bible that the Jews had before the New Testament was written. 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. Listen to these words and tell me who it is that they're talking about coming. It's Isaiah chapter 53. It's in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start at the tail end of chapter 52, just the last few verses of 52. But remember, it's mind-boggling that this was written 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Isaiah chapter 53. We're starting at the tail end of 52. 
And they shall see my servant beaten and bloodied and so just disfigured, one would scarcely know that he was a person standing there. So shall he cleanse many nations. And here starts 53. But, oh, how few believe it. Who will listen? To whom will God reveal his saving power? In God's eyes, he is like a tender green shoot sprouting from a root from dry, sterile ground. But in our eyes, there was no attractiveness at all. Nothing to make us want him. We despised him and rejected him. A man of sorrows, acquainted with bitter griefs. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. And he was despised. And we didn't care. But yet, it was our griefs that he bore. Our sorrows that weighted him down. And we, though his troubles were a pun, we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was chastised that we might be, have peace. He was lashed that we were healed. We are the ones that went astray like sheep. We who left God's paths to follow our own, yet God laid on Him the guilt and the sin of every one of us. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He never said a word. That's what happened to Jesus, wasn't it? He never said a word. He let Him condemn Him. And He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he stood silent before the ones condemning him. That's what happened. From prison to a trial, they led him away to his death. That's exactly what happened. But who among the people in that day realized that it was their sins that he was dying for? That he was suffering their punishment? He was buried like a criminal in a rich man's grave. That's what happened. But he had done no wrong, had never spoken an evil word. That's Jesus, huh? Yet, it was the Lord's good plan to bruise him and fill him with grief. But when his soul had been made an offering for sin, then he shall have a multitude of children, many heirs, And he shall live again. That's what happened the third day. And God's program shall prosper in his hands. And when he see all that was accomplished by the anguish of his soul, he shall be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant shall make many to be counted righteous before God, for he shall bear all their sins. Therefore, I will give him the honors of the one who is mighty and great, because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was counted as a sinner, and he bore the sins of many, and he pled with God for sinners. Written, 700 years before Jesus was born. Can you deny that the Word of God is false after hearing that? 
Wow! What's the chances of that happening? There isn't. None. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about God's loved. Jesus Christ, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. He washed us from our sins in His own blood. I want to tell this story. This little, read this little story to you. And you may think at first that, why am I even telling this story? But you'll know why at the end. A farmer had some puppies that he needed to sell. He painted a sign advertising the four puppies and set about nailing it to a post on the edge of his yard. And he was driving the last nail into the post. He felt a tug on his overalls and looked down right into the eyes of a little boy. The little boy said, Mister, I want to buy one of your puppies. Well, said the farmer, uh, as he uh, rubbed the sweat off the back of his neck, he says, uh, these puppies come from fine parents and cost a good deal of money. The boy dropped his head for a moment, you know. Oh. Then he reached deep into his pocket and pulled out a, a, hand, a handful of change and held it up to the farmer. He says, I got 30 cents. Is that enough to at least take a look? Can I have a look? Sure, said the farmer. And with, with it, he let out a whistle. <whistles> Here, Dolly. He called out, and out from a doghouse came down the ramp, ran Dolly, followed by four little balls of fur. The little boy pressed his face against the chain-link fence. His eyes danced with delight. As the dogs made their way to the fence, the little boy noticed a stirring inside the doghouse yet. Slowly, another ball of fur appeared, and it was noticeably smaller. And it slid down the ramp in an awkward manner, and the little puppy began to hobble towards the others, doing its best to catch up. The little boy said, uh, I want that one! And pointed to the runt that hobbled up. And the farmer down, knelt down to the boy inside and he said, Son, you don't want that puppy. He'll never be able to run and play like you, like the other dogs would. With that, the little boy stepped back from the fence. He reached down, rolled up his pant leg, and the farmer looked there's two steel braces running down the boy's legs attached to a specially made shoe. Looking back up to the farmer, and the boy said, I don't run too well myself, he said, and that puppy will need someone who understands. 
With tears in his eyes, the farmer reached down and picked up the little puppy, holding it carefully, and handed it to the little boy. The little boy says, how much? The farmer said, uh, there's no charge. There's no charge for love. You know, after I read what Jesus went through for us, the sorrow, the anguish, the bitterness, the rejection, the death, the pain, the grief, we need someone who understands. Like the little boy knew about the dog, he understood. He was there in his shoes. We got Jesus. He understands our suffering. He understands our pains, our griefs, our sorrows. He's there. He cares. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need rest for your soul? It's Jesus Christ. He cares. I want to close with this little story I tell about every time I come. I never get tired of telling it. And uh, maybe some of you get tired of hearing it. But I know one time I didn't tell it and a guy came up afterwards. He said, I'm disappointed. You didn't finish with the story you tell about the two cats. So I'm going to tell a story about the two cats. I've been coming here for about 17 years. And I talked to a lot of people in them 17 years here. And the story I hear over and over and over again is that I come here in the jail and I start coming to the services and I start reading the Bible. I start getting closer to Jesus. And I get out of here saying I'm never coming back. But I end up coming back. Gary, what can I do? I go in and out every time. I say, I'm never coming back, but I do. Help me. What do I need to do? And I tell him this story because it has a lot of wisdom in it. It's a story about an old missionary back in the old cowboy Indian days, rode on horseback. And he had a burden, a desire to go talk to the Indian people. He'd go from Indian village to Indian, pe- Indian village to tell him about Jesus Christ. And one day he was telling an old Indian chief about Jesus Christ. And the old Indian chief accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. He was born again. So the missionary, he gets on his horse, and about three or four months later, he comes back to that same village. And he sees the old Indian chief sitting by the fire one evening. And he goes up to him, he sits beside him, he says, how is it being a Christian? And the Indian chief says, it's great. He says, you know, my sins are forgiven. The load of sin is gone. 
I have that peace that the Bible talks about that passes all understanding. I know if I die today, I'm going to heaven. It's great. But he says there's two cats inside of me. And they fight from the time I get up in the morning till the time I go to bed. And the missionary says, what do you mean there's two cats inside of you fighting? What, what are you talking about? And the Indian chief says, the one cat represents my old flesh. The things I always like to do. The things that would get me in trouble. That's the one cat. The other cat is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ living within me. And the flesh wants to do its thing. And the Holy Spirit said, no, no, don't do that. Do this. And the flesh said, no, I want to do that. So they're fighting. He says they fight from the time I get up in the morning. Till the time I go to bed. And a missionary asks him, says, which cat usually wins? And this is the kicker of the whole story. The one I feed the most wins. If you got anything out of of this evening, the cat you feed the most is what's going to control your life. If you have Jesus Christ living within you, You have the Holy Spirit. And the way you feed that cat, the Holy Spirit, is getting in a Bible study. Reading your Word of God. Memorizing the Word of God. Pumping up spiritually. The way you pump up the flesh, it waits. Eating right. Eating the right stuff. Well, spiritually, you got to pump up spiritually. So you can overpower the flesh. If you're here tonight, and you never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, to be your Lord and your Savior. How many cats do you have? you got one. It's the flesh. And if you think you can overpower Satan with the flesh, it's a big joke because you can't. But when you have Jesus Christ, it's as greater as He it's in you than He it's in the world. So you can pump up. It says to put on the full armor of God so you can withstand the fiery darts of Satan. That's in Ephesians chapter 6. And you're going to have no armor without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus Christ. You may dance around like a puppet on the string when Satan gets a hold of you. You may think you're your own man doing your own thing, but you got a second thing, you got another thing coming. Because Satan can manipulate people. He can, he can put thoughts in your mind. He knows all your weak spots. And you're not going to overpower Him. So where are you tonight? Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me, through Jesus Christ. And Jesus also said in Mark 8, chapter, or Mark chapter 8, verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And when you lose your own soul, where are you at? Hell. Hell is a real place. But you don't have to be there. God provided the way out from hell. You'll never have to go there if you come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If you're a true Christian, this is what you got to look forward to in Revelations chapter 21, verse 4. 
And it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither no more sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are all passed away. Passed away. You send yourself to hell by rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Because Christ made the payment for you, for me. I'm going to close with this one verse. It's a powerful verse in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. I'll explain. Jesus was talking to His disciples and He's overlooking the city of Jerusalem, okay? All the people down in the city. And He's looking down there. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says, Oh, Jerusalem! Jerusalem! You killed the prophets and stoned them which are sent unto you. How often... I would have gathered you, my children, together, as even a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. He's crying out. All the people rejected the prophets who were sent before him, and they stoned him, denied him, not following him. And he says, like he would have gathered them, like a chick gathers a chicken, gathers her little chicks under her wings to protect them. And he says, and they would not. They would not come to him. They rejected him. No greater love than what Jesus Christ did on that cross for you. It's a free will and it's a free choice. Heaven or hell. The Bible says that even the angels rejoice. When someone comes to Christ, because they aren't ending up in hell. If you died today, where would you be? Heaven or hell? There's no middle of the road. And if you say, well, I really don't know, you know what your answer probably is? It's pretty much hell. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? If you don't, we're going to give an altar call here right now. As the music plays, come up forward and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior tonight. We'll go through the sinner's prayer together, asking Christ in your heart. I'll give you each one of these booklets. They're called Knowing God Personally. You can leave here with the assurance of heaven. With heaven, there's victory over the grave, victory over the sin. Without Jesus Christ, there's no hope. There's no victory. There's no happiness. So as the song plays, come on forward.